What's going down, friends? It is Cooper back with the Welcome to Cooperville podcast. Excited for this episode with Lou Brutus. But first, a special thanks out to our sponsors, Midwest Meals and MidwestMeals.com. Cut the crap, cut the meal prep, quality, healthy food on the go. Man, you got places to go, people to see, and still want to maintain your macros, keep your health on point, keep your diet on point. MidwestMeals.com. Click on there. They have 13 rotating meals each week. They're throwing new stuff in there. They got the cravings crushers. Now you can order those as many as you want to get you through the week with your snacking. And it's simple. MidwestMeals.com. Order up. Get your order in by Friday. And they ship nationwide on Monday. Meals. Check for the whole week. Plus, get yourself 10% off your first order with the promo code COOPER. Use that at checkout, MidwestMeals.com, hashtag MidwestFitFam. Podcast is also brought to you by Violent Gentleman Hockey Club online at ViolentGentleman.com and your promo code COOPERVILLE15 for 15% off your order. Hockey season heating up. You want the gear, the cool gear, the badass gear, not the crappy pansy stuff from the 80s. Look like you know what you're doing, Violent Gents. Also, all over social media. And of course... Proudly sponsored by Monster Energy, Monster Hydro, Muscle Monster, everything to get you through your workout, to get you through your day. If you live in the Midwest, we get about two hours of sunlight each day, and it's not even really sunlight. It's like two hours of light, cloud-filtered light. So it always feels like it's nighttime. Get you on some of that Monster Ultra, zero calories, zero sugar, plenty of boost to get you through the day. Hashtag Monster Podcasts. Very excited for this conversation. Lou Brutus, one of my... Idols, when I was in radio, still to this day, one of my idols as far as radio personality, syndicated radio show host, concert goer, photographer, and fan of live music. And let's add author to his repertoire as well. Lou Brutus on this episode of the Welcome to Cooperville podcast. It starts right now. Welcome to Cooperville. The Welcome to Cooperville podcast. On demand anywhere quality podcasts are available. And some places where cheap podcasts are available. And the local gas station has some. Subscribe. Get updates. Feel better about your life. Welcome to Cooperville.com. Welcome to Cooperville. Make sure you use a coaster. Man, myth, legend is kind of that three-word phrase that is thrown around uh, when you talk about somebody of iconic nature. And for me, Lou Brutus is somebody who who defines that in the art of radio, uh, rock and roll, music in general, and just overall fantastic human being. And Lou Brutus joins me on the podcast. Lou, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you taking some time out to chat it up with us, man. That was a very kind introduction. There's no effing way I could live up to it. Thank you anyway. Uh, and uh, the, the feeling is mutual. I'm really uh, happy to be here with you. And uh, yeah, you and I have a lot of uh, rock and roll travels between us. So uh, it's great to be here. You know, I'm really excited. I got a chance to uh, to read the book, Lubrutus Sonic Warrior. My life is a rock and roll reprobate. And first off, congratulations on getting uh, first. Well, I shouldn't say that. First, congratulations on still being in existence. I am glad that you are alive <laughs> and we are able to have this conversation because some of the stories in here, Lou, I mean, we're talking verge of death kind of stuff. Well, it, 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 uh, yes and no. I mean, I never went to Keith Richards' extremes. <laughs> like, if you want real OD stories, like, 
Keith or, or Nikki Six's book is, is really great, too. I, they're both fun reads. They're both informative. Um, you know, my adventures, uh, at least in that respect, have not been nearly as crazy. But, uh, man, I'm just glad to be able to get up any day of the week and still be around music and make a living. I, I mean, I've been doing this stuff since I'm about 12 years old. You know, the uh, the opening chapter, which is the most biographical, is entitled The Time I Attended My First Concert and Threw Up on Carlos Sanchez. <laughs> and uh, it's about going to my first concert when I was uh, I had just turned 14. It was December of 1976. Black Sabbath, Ted Nugent at Madison Square Garden. Uh, hilarity ensued. Um, but uh, I've been a part of rock and roll since even before that. And uh, to be able to to still do it uh, and and make a living at it, I, I honestly uh, I consider myself one of the luckiest people on the entire planet. You know, there was a great uh, opening even before that that first chapter. Um, Be the pointer uh, was was something that your father said to you as you were sitting down getting ready to watch the Beatles on uh, was the Ed Sullivan show, I believe. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I, and actually, I didn't see the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. I wasn't old enough to do that uh, i only remember ed sullivan from his uh much later days but mm-hmm. being a little kid uh i just thought that the beatles would always be on ed sullivan because <laughs> you know that was the you know his most famous episodes and uh so i would watch every every week hoping that maybe the beatles would make a surprise appearance which they never did while uh i was watching mm-hmm. and uh yeah my dad um uh, and he told me this many, many times through uh, through life. He said, son, be the pointer. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I turned around from the floor and looked up at him. You know, he had dad's spot on the couch, oh, as, yeah. as many dads do. Uh, and I said, well, what do you mean, dad? What do you, what do you mean, be the pointer? And he said, son, we watch Ed Sullivan together every week. And, uh, you know, the, the, the acts come and they go. He said, the musicians, the actors and actresses, the jugglers, all of these people, they might be there one week and they're never back again. Mm-hmm. It's not steady work. He said, but Ed Sullivan is there every week and he has zero talent. He can't do anything. All he does is point. Here's the band. Here's the actor. And he's there every week making a lot of money. He said, so if you're going to go into entertainment, be the pointer. And it's still some of the best advice I ever got in my life. Uh, another two pieces of advice, which are in the uh, the um, the postface uh, of the book, were also from my mom and dad. Uh, they were take care of your hearing, which I did not do. Uh, now I have severe hearing loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and the other was keep a journal. My mom always said, you know, even from when I was a kid, she said, you're doing all these interesting things. You're meeting all these, you know, these stars and these famous people. You think you're going to remember everything you should keep a journal because you're going to want to write books one day. And of course I said, ah, I can remember everything. And I said that because I'm a moron. Uh, so didn't keep a journal. Uh, I probably could have had 10 books out by now, but uh, uh, at, at least I listened to my dad when he suggested I be uh, be a pointer. But you did, you did take it to the next level when it is about keeping items and keeping ticket stubs and keeping laminates and passes that you got throughout the years. I mean, what is that? When you get a chance to, and I'm not even sure where you house this stuff, because after you know as many places as you've been, as many acts as you've seen, as many opportunities as you've had in the industry, I mean that that collection has does it have its own like space in the house? Do you have another place that you rent, like a storage facility you get to go and visit I, I, once in a while? I have offsites. 
I have uh, off-site storage where uh, uh, pretty much everything is kept. Uh, and again, that was originally the book I wanted to do. Now, the book that's out, Sonic Warrior, uh, it's uh, it's a collection of stories, and mm -hmm. and each chapter is a separate story, and it's all this, like you said, all this crazy rock and roll stuff. Mm -hmm. But the original book I wanted to do was of the memorabilia, and I thought, gee, uh, like a coffee table sized book with all of the things I've collected. Because again, I've been to north of, and and I'll never know for sure how mm -hmm. many, um, but over 3,000 different music events. And I've pretty much kept every single item from everything. I've kept every ticket stub, guitar pick, posters. Um, I've gotten guitars from bands and stage outfits. I, I, I've never counted everything, mm. but I'm sure if you just added up all the individual items, it's it's probably 10 to 20,000 different pieces. Um, you know, I've got uh, set lists, uh, the, the posters, I've got like 1500 different posters. Uh, many of them are, and you've seen some of these things cause mm -hmm. we've been together at Rockfest where I'm carting these things around. Some of them are covered in signatures. Like I have Ozfest posters that have 50 to a hundred signatures each on them from Ozzy, every other band on down. So I'm, I'm hoping maybe if this book does okay, maybe we, maybe then we do like another book of stories, but eventually I would love to put the whole collection uh, into a coffee table style book. When I first signed with, uh, with my literary agent, cause the only way you're going to get a book deal, you have to get somebody to rep you. It's sort of a long involved process, but right. um, I, I told my lit agent, Hey, I, I want to do this book with all this rock memorabilia. And he said, that would be a really great book, but you can't do that as your first book. And I asked why. And he said, well, a coffee table book like that is expensive. It's a larger format. It's mm -hmm. colored ink. It's nothing but pictures. Nobody is going to give you a first book deal based on that. He said, you know, you have this other idea for a book. This is a great first book. Put all these crazy rock and roll stories together. You've vomited out of the helicopter on everybody at Live Aid. There's a great story. Um, you know, you were in the Arctic in a, in a Inuit Eskimo village with Metallica. Put that in the book. Mm -hmm. And he said, that book we can get out easier than the other ones. So uh, so that's why I have this book now. And uh, hopefully down the line, I'll, I'll be able to put everything uh uh, put everything in for people who are interested in that memorabilia stuff uh, on my social media. I often put pictures. Uh, it's a small fraction of it, but it's still a lot of things uh, and particularly on Instagram, yeah. but I'll, I'll post some days. Hey, here's six different first tour slipknot posters autographed by all nine band members. Um, uh, and I've, you know, Slipknot alone, I've probably got north of 50 posters, mm -hmm. all covered in signatures, every band member, including Joey, who's no longer in the band, Paul Gray, who is no longer with us, who was just a, a lovely guy. And he, he was all, he was always one of the most interested when I brought posters to get signed. Mm -hmm. uh, he would want to go through them and see what I had. Because uh, I often had stuff that the band didn't have. I, I have some one-of-a-kind posters that were uh, done for venues that I I managed to get before <laughs> the band could get, uh, and then would have everybody sign. I've I've always kidded the Slipknot guys that one day they're all going to want to do books on their career, and they'll they'll want these posters, and I'll be like, you'll have to get them from me, you bastards. <laughs> You're coming through so, the uh, coming through Lou's gate for those ones. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. Uh, 
Yeah, no, uh, and and having a, the big collection like that, it's both a blessing and a curse. It's wonderful to have, but it's a nightmare to keep and store. Mm. Uh, I got about halfway through cataloging everything in Excel spreadsheets, and uh, uh, I, I haven't updated that in about five years, and there's thousands of more pieces I've got to put in. But, uh, yeah, um, one thing that does reference all of that is – there is at the end of a, the book uh, an appendix, mm-hmm. and I've listed to the best of my knowledge all of the bands that I've seen live. And that what is that? It goes on for like fifty pages, I think. Yeah, it's uh, um, it's, it's extensive. It's an extensive list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the ones that I've seen, uh, excuse me, the ones I've interviewed are put in bold. But I have pretty much something from, from almost every one of those bands on there. Um, so that, that'll give you a, a, an idea of the uh, enormity of the collection. But it's all in cases, and it's all in poster rolls, and it's all a way where nobody can see it or enjoy it. So maybe one day the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame will invite me to put a bunch of stuff in there that they can, uh, that they can put in the lobby or something. That would be fun. There you go. I think you have several thousand bargaining chips in storage. Yeah, somewhere. yeah. You know, you mentioned Slipknot and your relationship with them, you know, comes through in a, in a, a couple of places inside of the book. Uh, Corey Taylor does the forward in the book. Tell me about that relationship, uh, just because you, I always said there's two people in the rock world that if they combine powers together, they could run for president and VP and it really wouldn't matter who took the top billing. But if Corey Taylor and Dave Grohl ran for, you know, the top office in the country, I believe they would win and I would believe we'd have a better country. But your relationship with Corey, uh, just reading you know his kind words in the forward and, and about your impact, not only just the radio aspect of it, but with that relationship between you and bands across the country. Uh, tell me about you know the Slipknot relationship and, and a chance to get out and not only Slipknot, but obviously Stone Sour with, uh, with Corey and Jim Root. You know that relationship. Tell me uh, tell me about it. Yeah, it um uh, it started. I got uh. Long before the debut album on Roadrunner came out, I got an advance of some of the tracks, mm. and it was not a finished record. And I thought it was like, I thought it was very punk, actually. Not that it's punk rock, but there there was definitely, there was punk rock in its DNA, mm-hmm. uh, in both its sound and it seemed the attitude. And and I just I just loved it. I I I, I thought on that first listen that Slipknot was mo- one of the most exciting things I had ever heard. You know, uh, part of it was the percussion. Part of it was the, the, the slight bit of hip hop, the slight bit of punk rock. And it's the, it had a lot of things going on in it. And I just thought, man, this is amazing. And then I start to read up on them and I realized, Oh, I'd heard about these guys. They were like a band that was sort of bubbling in, a, you know, the, their local scene back in Iowa. Yeah. And, um, started to play wait and bleed before there was even a a finished version of it started to play it from coast to coast and unbeknownst to me at the time um the guys had you know who all grew up in des moines and uh i one of my very first affiliates for for hard drive was a a a laser there in uh in des moines Mm -hmm. and uh, they would air it on sunday night uh and amongst the guys in the band Corey, uh who was still working in a in a porn palace like the like the, the edge of town place to buy porn, you know, he listened to the show on Sunday nights and, and always said, I'm I'm gonna be a guest with Lou Brutus one day. My band is gonna make it, we're gonna be stars. And um I I saw them for the first time and I just thought 
can I can I curse on here? By the Absolutely. way, Absolutely. this is non FCC regulated airwaves right here, Lou. I, I thought as much. I want to make sure you were okay with it. I just went, <laughs> holy shit! What what the fuck is this? And I knew what to expect, but it still blindsided me. Where mm. it, it looked like it looked like a Hieronymus Bosch painting of <laughs> hell. Like it was just it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen on stage. Mm. Uh, and I, I went back to meet the guys, and and they they had already heard me playing them, and 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 not only just playing them, but really sort of starting to to try and be a prophet in the wilderness about this new band Slipknot. Um, anyway, the guys appreciated it, uh, and uh, I started going to see them every chance I could. And people have to understand, that album was out for like a year, a year and a half, and nothing was happening. Like, right. like you know, it, it made some some ripples in met, uh, uh, metal circles, but in the, in the grand consciousness, uh, and certainly in sort of regular rock radio, nothing was happening and, and i had people like bad-mouthing the band of me oh they wear masks it's a gimmick and i'm like you got to go see him this is the most incredible thing i've ever seen i don't care if everybody says i'm crazy um and I, I i just kept all my support behind them mm-hmm. uh and then they exploded uh and i remember as that first tour cycle wrapped up uh and it was it was like two years yeah. um that you could tell that it was just really something had happened with them and it was one of the most exciting things i've ever been around i remember the last shows on that tour there was a halloween show in new york city and then the final night of the tour was the next night the electric factory in philadelphia uh and um they knew they were going to go right back in and work and and that there was a, a huge future for the band uh, a quick aside uh, and i don't think i put this in the book but uh, a week or two after that last show on the tour. And again, I went to like 30 shows on the tour. Like I went to a lot of shows. Wow. Um, but a couple of weeks after that, there's a knock at my door and I open the door and it's, it's my local FedEx guy who, you know, I knew he delivered stuff all the time and he had a, a ginormous box. And I looked at him and I said, what the hell's that? <laughs> and he laughed. He said, I was kind of hoping you'd tell me, I said, bring it on in. Let's open it up and see. <laughs> and, uh, we, we opened the big, ginormous, you know, FedEx cardboard box, and inside it is a road case. And it, it had some, you know, stencils on it. And I thought, oh, my God, I think this is something really cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, we open up the road case, and inside of it is uh, one of the guitars. There, I can't think of the, the, the model guitar. Uh, it was the green one. I, it's not a Gibson. I want to say Gibson. It wasn't a Gibson uh, guitar. But... Jim Root had played it every single night of the entire first Slipknot tour. And he sent it to me, but before he did, he literally had all nine members write thank you messages to me on it just for being the, you know, the first guy to sort of stick his neck out. And, uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's again, another thing that's in a box locked up in storage. Nobody can see it and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, that was uh, that. That's I, again amongst all the memorabilia and, and stuff I have. That's one of my my favorite absolute uh, pieces, and and really one of the great kindnesses. And and Jim Root has been very nice to me through the years. But uh, yeah, that was uh, 
that was pretty spectacular. Although I wouldn't be against him doing it again. You know, <laughs> you know if they, you know, if they have an extra, you know, if he's going to be out. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, They're going to be sure. out again you know. this year. Yeah, you know, they know where you are. The um, FedEx guy can drop it right off. And- but 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 those guys have always been great yeah. to me, and you know, I'm often invited out. They'll all grab a bunk on one of the buses and and go out for it. You don't stay too long. You don't outlive your. You don't outstay your welcome. But right. uh, to hit the road with them and be able to, you know, I do a lot of photography, of course, yeah. and. Uh, to be able to have free reign to shoot the entire show and shoot backstage. And, you know, I, I'm, I mean, I suppose in a way it helps career wise to do that stuff. And it gives me kind of cool stuff to put in my, my social media feeds, but it's just fun. Right. There's nothing more fun than hitting the road with a band, getting on that tour bus. You know, I wouldn't want to do it for a living. Mm-hmm. I always compare it to camping, going out on the road with bands. Like, it's fun to do for uh, three or four days. But after that, it's like, you people are animals. I want to go home. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you yeah. know, while you're out there, it, there are a few things as fun uh, in life. You know, there's uh, the Slipknot reference, I think, makes uh, makes a great tie into to you and, and the longevity that you've had and, and the experiences that you've had. Because there's also a, a, a reference to uh, to Disturbed in here at, at a point where they were in their infancy. They were playing a side stage. Um, for you as, uh, you know, not only the radio personality, uh, you know, the syndicated show host, but a music fan, photographer, what is it like for you to be able to see these bands like Slipknot and like Disturbed go from a band that nobody's heard of or a band that's buzzing in, you know, small town USA somewhere to where they're the power. Now they are, they're the upper echelon. They release an album and their songs are all bullet to number one. I mean, what's that like for you to be able to watch these bands kind of go from not, not nothing, but the very start, you know, that, that story about Corey Taylor, you know, listening to hard drive on Sunday nights at the porn shop, which is, which I'm sure that soundtrack to those who were, you know, making purchases, you know, maybe, maybe garnered you a couple of ratings points yes. there in Iowa, but, you know, for you to be able to kind of be witness, uh, in even closer proximity to, to fans than to see these bands go from, you know, the garage to having that first single to the explosion, and then to be able to continually grow and evolve and to become, you know, masters of their craft as they are today. Yeah. It, I, the, the thing, that I feel the most is happiness for the bands Mm -hmm. because anybody who has been in a band. And I mean, if you never even made it out of playing in the garage or mom and dad's basement, being in a band is fucking hard. And it it, like, I've seen bands with zero talent (laughs) when I was a kid, you know, all my friends were, you know, we were all music heads and most everybody tried to be in bands or were in bands and stuff. And, People fight, they get in petty, like being in a band is hard. Mm -hmm. And then when you add like, hey, we're going to do this for a living and do it professionally, it's the the odds against you. You have a better, you literally have a better chance of hitting Powerball than you do of making it as a band. Mm Because Powerball, there's generally a winner every week or two. How many bands truly make it every year? A few? Not many. Um, So that's why, and, and I know how hard bands work. Um, and I, yeah, I have seen it up close. It, it's sacrifice. And, and listen, the fringe benefits are great, but the people who actually get all of those fringe benefits are a tiny, tiny fraction of everybody who gives it a go. Uh, that's why I always sort of resent when, Oh, rock stars, they get their asses kissed. It's such an easy life. People who say that have no clue right. the sacrifices all of these people have made 
to try and make it. That's why I am happy for any, even the bands that I don't particularly care for musically isn't mm. my cup of tea. I'm happy for any, I'm glad for Taylor Swift. I'm glad for people in pop. I'm glad for anybody who can get a living out of this, let alone become rich and successful. It's really, really hard. Um, so yeah, to be able to see it up close happen to people that, it, that uh, I, I think are talented, th that's a really, uh, great feeling you know there, there are a lot of bands and and i just thrown it out there on social media recently who are the most underrated bands out there and mm -hmm. and you know there were bands named that are phenomenal bands that have, have achieved a great amount of success but probably not all the success they deserve mm -hmm. seven dust might be the, yeah. the greatest example they're yeah. one of the most phenomenal bands ever to exist uh saint Asonia, altar bridge that might be the most talented band on the planet yeah uh in terms of just raw ability uh, and and they're certainly a very successful band, but are they playing arenas and stadiums? No, they're not selling. They, they don't headline those sorts of places, and they should. There are bands that have been doing this a long time. I feel should should be a thousand times bigger than they are. Best example is probably Cheap Trick. Hmm. Cheap Trick might be the greatest straight up rock and roll band that has ever fucking existed. And if you have never gone to see them, they are still out on the road. They still put out phenomenal records. Mm -hmm. They are still one of the best live acts on the planet. I'm going to see them again this week. I go see Cheap Trick every chance I get. Um, so, yeah, to be able to – back to the original question, to be able to see these folks and, and, and um, through the years uh, amass enough stories you know, that, I can, that I can put into a book, uh, is, uh, you know, it's just a good feeling and, and it's fun. And, uh, but again, I'm more than anything happy for the bands because it's so much harder than it looks. You know, I think one of the great things about the book, um, and, and we kind of talked about this before we started uh, recording, is that the, the stories are all broken up individually, and there's not necessarily, a, you know, it's in chronological order. Um, the maybe the best part it ends and begins with you throwing up on things, um, which with yes. it's a great book ends uh, for a book. Uh, <laughs> it's and and actually, by the way, the full title of the book is Sonic Warrior: My Life as a Rock and Roll Reprobate: Tales of Sex drugs and vomiting at inopportune moments <laughs> and thanksgivings you know we gotta you know start from start from childhood but the 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 meat potatoes of the the guts of the book the the inner workings of it i mean phenomenal backstage stories about the magical powers or evil powers of keith richards to you know the stevie nicks story which was amazing uh you know something that I, even though we're not rated here on on podcasts, you know the Nick the Pig story from you know, the Motley Crue. Uh, yeah, don't side don't, stage. don't, don't yeah, even no, go into details. No, the, no, the, the chapter is called "The Time Motley Crue's Roadies Showed Me the Grossest <laughs> Thing in the History of Western Civilization." Now, can you back me up oh, on this. Oh man, what I described, what they showed me, was it in fact the grossest thing in the history of Western civilization. You know, the craziest thing of it, because when you read that open, you know, you read that title of the chapter and you're, you're reading it at the same time. You're thinking of like, what is the worst thing I could possibly imagine in my mind? <laughs> like you're, you're reading the story and you, and you kind of got the, you know, the local cruise, you know, talk about the local cruise in that, uh, in that chapter and, and, you know, kind of the, okay, here's your deal. And here's what you got to do. And, and having been in those shoes, but not in those particular shoes, thank God at that moment in time, but having been on the side stage waiting for the stage manager manager and the, uh, the strict rules that you have to walk out onto a stage like that. And you have this much time and all those things going through your head. Uh, and you're, I'm going God, what, what on earth could, 
and then you drop the story of what Nick the Pig is all about. And I had to set the book down and and take a short walk, get some fresh air. <laughs> re, I had to reevaluate my existence as a human being, and then pick it back up and finish it. But I mean, it, that but it, it's so Motley Crue, like I can't even like. I'm like, okay, if this is any other band, if this is any other artist. I'm going. This doesn't make any. This is so like, what the fuck is like? Who are these people that they're bringing us? Motley Crue. I'm like, and, and, oh and, yeah. And I and, and I say this in the nicest possible way. Motley Crue and their road crew back on that tour were degenerates. <laughs> Absolute, <laughs> just the most perverse degenerates to ever exist in rock and roll. And again, mean it as a compliment. Yes. Love the Motley Crue guys, but it, it, it's this, it might be one of the sickest things that, that people uh, ever read. It was. And I've read a lot of shit, and that was. That's eight ball corner pocket in the what the fuck did I just read category there. That was. Well, well and, and by the way, if this part doesn't make people want to buy my book, then by <laughs> God, nothing will. Nothing there's vomiting, will. vomiting. There's Motley Cruz Roadie showing us things that are frankly illegal in, I think, most states and many countries and would probably involve the death penalty in, yes. in some more conservative areas of the world. So, uh, And I do want to remind folks they can. Um, uh, they can get the book uh, at this point pre-order hmm. uh, via Amazon, Barnes and Noble. They can also go through my publisher, Rare Bird Books, uh, and they can. I, I just found out they can pre-order from Rare Bird right up until publishing date, and those will be autographed first editions. But I will be doing a massive amount of book tour stops, and that they'll be happening all year long. Um, but I, and I will also be doing two formal signings. Uh, at Rockfest in Cadott, Wisconsin, um, and the books will be available there. Uh, I'll be signing like two nights all night, one after Slipknot and one at the pre-show party on the Wednesday. Mm. Uh, I'm making other stops in Wisconsin and all over the country, and I just want to see everybody uh, come on out. It would be great to see you, and uh, uh, just buy my fucking book. It's filled <laughs> with rock and roll degeneracy. It really is. The, the whole book is fantastic. Lou, thank you for uh, for sharing your time and for sharing your stories. I think, you know, we, we for those who listen to Hard Drive, we get a chance to listen to your, your stories that you get to, to tell in the air, but to have them in, in kind of this, this focused chapter by chapter, uh, life experience, uh, survival of the fittest, Nick the Pig. I mean, I'll never, I'll never, you know, look at Snoop Dogg the same way again with you two coming back together uh, this coming July. So, it's such a great read, and I'm so happy that, it, that it's out and that I got a chance to read it, man. Really appreciate it, and I will see you at Rockfest. Absolutely. Looking forward to seeing Lou at Rockfest in Kanawha, Wisconsin, coming up this July. That's the Welcome to Cooperville podcast. I thank you for listening. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. Hope you enjoyed. Be sure on whichever podcast platform you are listening that you do subscribe. Leave a comment. Leave us some stars. That's always nice. It's nice to get feedback. Nice to know what we're doing is good or it sucks or whatever. Your opinion is valid. And we are on the socials. Welcome to Cooperville. Search for us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are there. Interact with the show. Ask questions. Who knows? Maybe you'll make it on an episode. And until then, see you.